Good morning. It is such a delight to be with you here this morning. Usually during this time of worship, I'm looking at the back of your heads from the back. So it's really nice seeing your faces. I, I yearn for the day and look forward to the day when I can see your smiling faces sitting out here in front of me. I'm so excited by all that God is doing both in and through the Wesley Memorial Congregation for all that God uh, is doing in your life and for the ways that God is using you uh, to be the body of Christ here in this community. Uh, I am excited about next Sunday morning. We are going to uh, officially christen and bless and open our new worship space for contemporary service on Easter Sunday with all of our glorious Easter Sunday worship. But next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we want to just give you folks a gift. You people that have been with us through the pandemic, you've been with us through the renovation, uh, you've grown used to worshiping in a dining room, and we want to do something special for you. So when you come next week, we will we'll be in the, in the new space. Uh, I'm excited about what God has done to provide that for us. Uh, even during a pandemic, when a lot of churches are stagnant or going backwards, uh, we have worked hard, many of you have worked hard to make sure we continue uh, going further up and further in for the sake of Jesus Christ. Uh, just outside of the budget, thanks to people in this room and beyond, we raised about three quarters of a million dollars to do renovation around our campus, uh, both in the sanctuary and in our contemporary worship space, so that we can, can continue to keep this virtual door open. I'm grateful for both uh, our internet uh, congregation, our television congregation, and for uh, those of you that can gather with us on Sunday morning. So thanks for being a part of all that God is doing here through our congregation. I know, uh, and I'm so grateful for Keith and this praise band behind me, praise team behind me. Uh, uh, they're so wonderful and dedicated and flexible that a preacher can walk in and say, you know, about 30 minutes ago, I, I decided I was going to preach about something differently. And uh, I, I know the musical fit. The spirit will work that out. Don't worry about what's on the screen behind me uh, because it'll be irrelevant. Uh, but I know last week uh, that Pastor Clark referenced uh, a text that included John 3.16. About an hour or so ago, it, I, I received a strong, strong impression that, that there was someone here in this room, uh, perhaps multiple someones, that need to hear, hear us teach again about John 3.16 and the text around John 3.16. I, I, I believe that um, the Spirit's gifts are for today. Uh, not just for the New Testament period, not just for the time of the apostles, but they're for today. And one of those gifts that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a word of knowledge. And if you're not familiar with what Paul talks about when he's talking about gifts of the Spirit, a word of knowledge is not words of knowledge, it's a word of knowledge. It is some information uh, that, that we can receive that will be beneficial to someone else, that will help build them up in the, in the faith. Uh, it is a, a word of knowledge. It's not something that we know because of our experience 
It's not something that we know because of research, but it is a gift of the Spirit. And um, I respect the Spirit's work greatly. And uh, the Spirit did speak to me about an hour ago and said that um, if you want to hear the text I was going to preach, you can go to Vimeo or Facebook or YouTube and pull it up. Uh, It was on TV this morning. Or you can hang around and go upstairs and uh, join us for the 11 o'clock service. Uh, That'll be the text that I use for the 11 o'clock service. But uh, I did get the strong impression that there's a someone or multiple someones here in this room this morning that need, again, a very simple presentation of of gospel truth. And, of course, John 3.16 is frequently called in Christian tradition uh, the gospel in a nutshell. Uh, but I noticed, because I used the text last week uh, in, the, in the main sanctuary, and I noticed that a lot of what I said about the text last week seemed to be rather novel to uh, many of the people gathered in the sanctuary. So uh, I think even though you think you know John 3:16 well, uh, you know that text well, maybe you, maybe you know the context well, uh, but I want, I want us to look at it again. So the text that I want to use is John chapter 3, um, beginning, at verse, beginning at verse 14 of John chapter 3. And this is what the text says to us. I want you to hear this, then we're going to pray together. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whoever, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then comes John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish. That's the word there, perish. May not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for all of us that are gathered here in this room, for the life that you've given us, for the new life in Jesus Christ that you're offering us. We pray, God, that... We may not just be fans or impressed with Jesus, but we may indeed be followers of Jesus. I thank you, God, that if anyone in this room today is here just as a seeker, seeking to know what Jesus Christ means, seeking to know Jesus Christ, seeking to learn more about our congregation, seeking to learn more about the Christian faith and faithful Christian discipleship, that that person knows how welcome they are in this place, that, that we are delighted and excited they're here, but may they also know that we're also here to help them become a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that each one of us will be open to your spirit during this time, that we will hear your word spoken to us. I pray, God, that you'll give each one of us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. 
In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I do want to start with one of my favorite quotations from a great, great movie. And that quotation is simply, Snakes, why'd it have to be snakes? And I suspect you know what movie that's from. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of my top ten movies from cinematic history. Snakes, why'd it have to be snakes? And I suspect if you've seen that movie, you, you, you're recalling the scene right now. As much as you don't want to recall the scene right now, I apologize. But you're recalling the scene right now. Indiana Jones, uh, played by Harrison Ford, is the archaeologist in that movie. He's looking for the, the lost, so-called lost, Ark of the Covenant. Uh, that piece of furniture from Jewish architecture that was kept in the tabernacle, then the temple. That piece of furniture that held uh, the original tablets of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Indiana Jones is looking for the lost Ark of the Covenant. As he's looking for the lost Ark of the Covenant, he ends up in the well of souls. And he looks into the well of souls and he sees the snakes. A lot of snakes. Snakes. Why do it have to be snakes? I actually did the research. Those are real snakes down there and it's actually about 7,000 snakes is what it took to make that scene in that movie. Uh, you noticed a few moments ago our text for the day references snakes. And really to understand John 3.16, you need to understand what John 3 is talking about concerning snakes. Because it goes back to a story from Numbers 21 about snakes. And I'll go ahead and just up front at the beginning apologize to any snake lovers or herpetologist in the room. We actually have a very distinguished herpetologist uh, as a member of our church family here. Um, I don't understand his love of snakes. Uh, I refuse to visit in his home. We can meet for coffee at Devine, but I refuse to visit in his home. Uh, I apologize to you if you're a snake lover, but um, I'm like Indiana Jones. I absolutely hate snakes. I don't care what kind of snake they are. I hate snakes. In the very first place that Tammy and I lived right after we were married, uh, it, was a, it was an apartment, and it was about half underground. And we were very young, but I don't know that I'd react differently today. We were very young. It was during the summer. We were walking out of our apartment, and where the door was leading into and out of the apartment, of course, the light switch was there by the door so that you could turn the light switch coming in. But if you were walking out, you had to walk through almost a dark hallway. And my wife, it was summer. Very, she was very young at that point. We were both very young at this point. We were, we were walking out, and just as I cracked the door... She felt something around her feet. And just as I cracked the door and let the light in, she looked down, and there was the most excited black snake you've ever seen in your life um, because Tammy was stepping on that black snake with her bare feet. I never and have never since seen my wife move so quickly. Uh, before, I didn't, even, I didn't even notice she had gone anywhere. The next thing I knew, she was right here in front of me with a, with a hoe screaming, kill it, kill it, kill it, but she didn't have to encourage me much. I, I killed it, and then uh, it, it got around my congregation that I'd killed a black snake, and 
All these people came at me, preacher, young preacher. Don't you know you're not supposed to kill black snakes? And I said, if they get in my house, I kill black snakes. Um, I just have this hatred of snakes. I'll tell you one more story. And then we're going to get delve into the text, which talks about snakes. Um, just a y year ago, I was walking downstairs at the parsonage uh, where I have a wonderful study. And uh, my dog, some of you have met my dog, Jaxie the Wonder Dog. Jaxie the Wonder Dog goes wherever I go. And he usually bounds down the steps ahead of me when I'm going to my study. He doesn't do that any longer. Because one particular day, about a year ago, he's bounding down the steps. And um, as I'm going down the steps behind him, I see what I think is a snake in my downstairs study. And it was a snake. Now, I'm sure if a rational person like you were in the room, you would have said it was a baby snake at best. Now, to me, it looked about eight feet long. But it was a snake there in my study. And the only thing I could imagine was that snake would get away and go who knows where in my study. And I'd have to move, and that's inconvenient. <laughs> so I decided that I needed to kill that snake. And so here my dog is watching me. I didn't want the snake to get away. So the only thing I'd get my hands on, uh, and again, I apologize to the snake lovers in the world. Don't call PETA on me. I apologize to the snake lovers. All that I'd get my hands on was one of my dog's treats that he chews on and a biography of George Washington. I could reach that from my desk. And I beat that snake to death with that biography of George Washington and took his head off with my dog's treat. But I refused to let that snake get away from me in my study because who knows what it had gotten under. And I'd had to move out, and that's inconvenient. Um, you know, if you have snakes as pets, God bless you. I apologize to herpetologists and snake lovers. Uh, but I hate snakes. Uh, I, that's why I love the movie. One of the reasons I love the movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark from Indiana Jones. You notice in the text that takes you to John 3.16, the context of the text has a reference to snakes. In verse 14, the text says, Just as the serpent was lifted up by Moses in the wilderness... So also the Son of Man must be lifted up. And the text works its way to John 3.16 that I expect you know well. The story that's being referenced here is a story from uh, Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, uh, Moses is leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. They have been freed from captivity in Egypt. And they're on their way through what becomes a 40-year journey into the land of promise. And uh, not long into the journey, human nature kicks in, and the people start complaining. The text says they start murmuring, complaining against Moses, Aaron, and ultimately against God. Now, God had provided everything they needed up to that point in their life. If you remember the, the story of the wilderness wanderings, at that point, God had already provided manna, had provided quail, had provided water from the rock, had provided a cloud to lead them by day and a pillar of fire to lead them by night. But even with all that God had provided, they started murmuring. They started complaining. There's something about human nature. That's the way it just kind of works for us. And, and I know you're not like that, but you probably know somebody like that. 
Uh, C.S. Lewis, in one of his works, makes a reference to a particular lady who grumbled so much in her life. She ceased, according to C.S. Lewis, she ceased being a grumbler and just simply became a grumble. Her whole life, she just became a grumble. That's all she was. All the rest of her humanity floated away. I suspect you know somebody like that. That's what's going on here in the wilderness. They are complaining. They are murmuring. They are grumbling against Moses and Aaron and against God. Uh, We need to be careful when we complain, when we grumble, because we might be murmuring, complaining, grumbling against God, not just the particular situation at hand. So uh, that's when in, in Numbers 21... God allowed a plague of snakes, sort of Indiana Jones-like, to come upon the Israelite people. And many of the people were bitten by those snakes. They were poisonous snakes. Many of the people died. And God told Moses to take a pole, raise that pole up, put a bronze serpent, bronze snake on that pole. And then when people would look at that pole, they would be healed they would be saved. That's what happened. And it's in that context where here in John chapter 3, you get the text, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that in John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking initially to Nicodemus that religious man, that Pharisee, religious man, who came to Jesus at night because that's when they had time to talk at length about theological matters. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that he must be born again. He's very religious, he's good, he's upstanding, he's moral, but Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again, and Jesus is saying uh, to Nicodemus, that he must be born again because he must. To be born again, uh, the Greek word is anothen. It means to be born anew again or from above. It means to receive or experience spiritual birth. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must receive spiritual birth. And Nicodemus says, how can this be, Jesus? And it's in answer to that that we get the words, remember Moses and the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. And just as the people looked to the serpent and were saved, delivered, healed, remember that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only unique begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what what we're asked to do in this text is to look to Jesus, to gaze at Jesus, to focus at Jesus. All of that is Old Testament language that in the New Testament becomes believe in Jesus, believe on Jesus, trust in Jesus. Whoever believes in this one and only unique Son of God, trusts, believes in, believes on this Son of God, 
will not perish but have eternal life. And it really is eternal life, not everlasting life. In the Gospel of John, eternal life is almost a technical phrase that means heavenly life. It means that life that's ours in Jesus Christ. It's that life that begins in us the moment we believe. It doesn't begin the moment we die physically. It begins in us the moment that we believe. That's eternal life. Sometimes I would rather translate it heavenly life. Now, it is everlasting. Because once the life of Jesus, that heavenly life, uh, begins in us, physical death will not stop it. And the relationship that we have with God through Christ here in this world will continue in the world to come. That should make perfect sense. It will continue in the world to come. And you notice it says, whoever believes in Jesus will have this heavenly life, this eternal life that's also everlasting, and they will not perish. That's the promise. If we just look upon, gaze, focus on, believe in, believe on, trust in this one and only unique Son of God will have this quality of life and will never perish. You notice also in the text, it's very clear that everyone doesn't automatically benefit from the work of Christ. There are two options presented to all of us here in this text. We can believe on and in this Jesus or perish. C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes, I know he's a hero of some of you here in the room too, the greatest defender of the Christian faith from the 20th century, has had such an influence on so many of us for whom the life of the mind and the life of the spirit are both important. C.S. Lewis one time said that hell is locked from the inside. Everyone doesn't automatically benefit from the work of Christ. You got the options of believing on, receiving eternal life, or perishing. C.S. Lewis said that hell is locked from the inside. And what C.S. Lewis meant by that, uh, he is an Orthodox Christian, and I think he's exactly right on that. What he meant by that is the people that are in hell want to be in hell. They've chosen that. That's been the, the final of a series of choices in their life. Uh, the people that go to hell if they were to be in heaven as we know heaven from the New Testament that would be hellish to them I mean think about someone like Adolf Hitler the last place he wants to go is somewhere where it's not Hitler centered but it's God centered and a place where we will be lost in wonder love and praise some people make it very clear in this life they don't want that kind of life they don't want a life that's centered in another one, capital A, capital O. They don't want a life receiving the love and the grace and the gift of another. That's not the life they want here. So why in the world or the world to come would they want that life in that world? Our choices are important. You add up all of our choices, and some are more significant than others, but if you add up all of our choices, they eventually will equal our life. Our choices are important. So, for God, God, it starts with God. The initiative is with God. 
God has to be first. For God so loved, we know that God is a God of love, but his love has been defined for us. For God so loved, how? God so loved that he gave. And he gives so much, but in this text it's talking specifically about one unique gift. For God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only son. So he loved the world. That's all of us. Each one of us. We are invited into this life. No one is excluded from the invitation. We have to receive the gift. We have to ask Jesus to come in our lives. To be enthroned in our lives. That means we have to dethrone ourselves. We have to allow Jesus to bring about his kingdom in our life in this world. And that may mean that some other kingdoms will have to crumble for the kingdom of God in Christ to prevail. So we have to accept the gift of Jesus so that we will get the eternal life, everlasting life, heavenly life, here and in the world to come, as opposed to perishing. Living without a relationship with God. Living outside the love of God for all eternity. One more C.S. Lewis quote. I know I'm making Chad happy over here for no one else. C.S. Lewis one time said, There are really only two kinds of people in this world. There are those people who look to God and say, God, thy will be done. And there are those people that God looks to and says, Thy will be done. Which kind of person are you? You know, I hope that you have a mission statement. I believe in mission statements. I believe in focusing on the mission statement. I have a personal mission statement. I hope you have a personal mission statement. I have a personal mission statement that I reaffirm every morning in my morning prayer. What is your personal mission statement? My personal mission statement, the organizing principle in my life, that which gets me out of bed every morning, that which keeps me going, my mission is I want to help people know Jesus Christ and walk in the fullness of his spirit. That's what I want for you, friends. The gift is placed before you. Now the choice is yours. Amen.